Hey friends, welcome to the Weed, Seeds, and Beautiful Things podcast, a podcast that's not about growing marijuana or gardening, but is about living in radical faith and full submission to God. I'm sure glad you're here. The Weed, Seeds, and Beautiful Things podcast is hosted by me, Connie Lawson, and airs Mondays and Fridays on your favorite podcasting platform. Be sure to check me out on social media, both Instagram and Facebook at Weed Seeds and Beautiful Things. You can also go to our website at blog.weedseedsandbeautifulthings.com to leave your prayer requests or a comment and to read our blog whenever I write one, which is not very frequently because speaking is my jam, not writing. Anyway, I'm so glad you're here. Let's get this show started. Hey guys, welcome to the Weed, Seeds, and Beautiful Things podcast. I'm your host, Connie, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm going to be talking some more about the book of Ruth with you today, and I'm just going to kind of be sharing some insights that I've learned in my own study. It's been a really interesting, divine time. I had kind of felt like, and I've stated this in the first episode, I think, and maybe the second of the podcast regarding Ruth, but I felt like Ruth was kind of overused, you know, like you always hear about Ruth and Esther and there are just certain things in the Bible where it just like the, the be still, you know, everybody is using be still, the be still, be still, be still and know artwork and t-shirts and um, home decor and candles and calendars and notepads and it just can lose um, some of its personal uh, power in our in our spirits it can kind of feel dry and just sort of dead and so that's kind of how I felt about the book of Ruth like I've heard it a thousand times I it's just kind of tired and I just was praying about what chapter in the Bible do I read what what do I go back to and it was just very clear in my spirit that the Lord wanted me to read the book of Ruth. And so I've been studying the book of Ruth and this time I've been studying it kind of verse by verse and word by word, trying to take some time to do some word studies and to kind of figure out the actual meaning of what's going on in scripture. That's different than what I've done in the past. As I have matured as a believer, the Lord has shown me the importance of learning the context of scripture and learning what was actually being written when it was being written. What did God, what message, what intent and purpose did God actually have when he breathed this particular scripture into the hearts of the people that he used to write his word. And so it's definitely been a just a really a big time of growth and stretching because it's so easy to take scripture and to have your personal bent whatever way you bend whatever way you interpret whatever way you tend to um when you read something, how you perceive something, you know, you have a bent, a way that you usually go. So it's very difficult to remove yourself and your emotion and your brokenness from scripture when you're reading and to actually take the time to figure out what it's actually saying. And then through what it's actually saying, 
asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate how you apply that, how you apply that truth. And so the book of Ruth has definitely been a journey for me. And it's interesting because it's something that I sort of was turned off to. And that's the very thing that the Lord led me to do a, a study on. And through that study, he has been teaching me again, the importance of interpretation and the importance of literal uh, historical and grammatical um, word studies of, of what he's saying in his word, but just also how even though the scripture was written long ago, and especially the Old Testament, um, that it is living and active. It's sharper than to an, any two-edged sword and it pierces between the bone and the marrow, the thoughts and the intents. And it, it changes you. Scripture doesn't need to be modernized because God is the creator of time. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the, you know, the Ancient of Days. And so not only was he in the past when Scripture was written, but he's also in the future. And so Scripture, just as it is, being the authoritative word of God, is... It doesn't need anything added to it. It doesn't need to be changed. Its interpretation, the Lord's intent and purpose within scripture doesn't need to be adjusted or modified to fit this age. What needs to happen is we need to be adjusted and modified and changed so that not only do we see the richness of scripture, but we can be more conformed to his image. Part of being conformed to the image of Christ is realizing that we have the mind of Christ and that when we are in the spirit, we can actually think the thoughts that the, that Christ thinks after him. So when he is, you know, what he thinks, we can think those thoughts and the authority that he has, we can access that when we are in right relationship with him. So that's powerful. And it, really, really makes you think about all of the unaccessed truths that are in scripture that are available to us, but that we don't have, um, maybe we don't know because we're not spending adequate time with him. And that's, I guess, the biggest thing that has been monumental in this journey for me has been spending time with the Lord, not doing anything, not having superior knowledge, because honestly, I'm a fifth grade dropout. That's not an exaggeration. I got sick when I was in fifth grade, so approximately 11 years old, and I never went back to normal school after that. And I don't remember much of anything I learned in fifth grade anyway. So I only serve as evidence and as, as proof that you don't have to have any special knowledge or any special degree or any special ability to go deep into the word of God and to have him truly pour out his spirit on you. When you are in Christ, you are saved, you are a believer, then the spirit resides in you and when you ask and when you 
get in the word. And by get in the word, I mean, open your Bible and read it and wrestle with the things that you don't understand, wrestle with uh, the questions that you have, bring them to God. That's how you wrestle. You ask him your questions with a heart that is expectant that he will answer. And he is going to start illuminating things. Illuminating means like turning a light on something that was dark and that didn't make sense before he will allow it to make sense to you. Not all at once. It's something called progressive revelation. So as you are ready and as you are faithful, he will give you more and more and more. And the more that you get, the hungrier you get. And then the more he gives and then the hungrier. So it's kind of this, it feeds off of, off of itself. And another way to look at it is it's like you're on a dark path. Um, walking with Jesus, a main part of it is spending time with him. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that we fail at is spending time because we think we have to bring something to the time when really all we have to bring is ourself. And when we tolerate that discomfort. We tolerate the lack of knowledge that we have, the the lack of understanding, the questions, the doubts, the fears, then he is going to give us light. And when we walk in the light that he's given, he will give us more light. He doesn't stop giving us light until we stop walking in the light he's given. So I've already been talking for eight minutes and 43 seconds, and I will work on getting better at these videos, but you know, new things are hard. So I'm just going to jump into a tiny bit of Ruth here. I went back in my study to Judges, uh, chapter 21, so it's the last chapter in Judges, the very last verse, verse 25. So Judges 21, 25 says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what seemed right in his own eyes. That's scary um, because if you go back and you look at um, the first king was King Saul and we know most of us know what a big failure he was in um, kingship and in um, being right with the Lord. And so the Lord, you know, knocked him off of being king. And then came David, King David, and David was a righteous king. But my whole point of saying that is Israel had a king to begin with. Uh, the children of Israel were God's chosen people, and they had a king, and their king was Yahweh. And they wanted to be like everybody else. And that's where Saul comes on the scene. And then after that, you have David, but they, I feel like it started with wanting to be like everybody else, not realizing the gift that they had in having Yahweh as their king, as their ruler, as their um, authority. And so they looked and they wanted the human um, governing system that other places had and they got it and um it brought trouble and then you see here in judges that there wasn't a king in israel and everyone did what seemed right in his own eyes that's scary to me because that just shows you that they had deteriorated so much from the point that they walked away from God's plan to now they were just doing whatever. And that kind of feels like today's world where just whatever, whatever makes you feel good, 
whatever you want to do, whatever sexuality you want to have, whatever you want to do to your unborn child, whatever you think is right is right because truth is relative and truth changes and it can be whatever you want it to be in that moment, which I'm so glad is not true because if truth is relative, then there isn't a point where anything is secure. If everything is dependent on how I feel for me personally, then there really isn't hope to begin with. So I'm glad that the word of God is actually the authority and that God himself, even in sinful situations with sinful people, is not limited to our sinfulness. He is still sovereign. He still judges sin, but he still also can use sin. Um, he can use people that become repentant in sin. He forgives and he redeems and he restores. So an interesting, some background notes to Ruth is that they attribute um, the book being written by Samuel, uh, the prophet Samuel. Now there's no mention of him in the books, uh, in the book of Ruth, but it's like a genealogy thing where they they can kind of place and pinpoint Samuel. Now, that's not a hard and fast rule. I'm just sharing some uh, things that I've learned. Uh, and then this, the book, the historical setting of Ruth is set during the time of the judges. It was a really sad time in the nation of Israel. And it lasted about 300 years. So this book of Ruth is a personal book. Uh, Tony Evans Study Bible says that it's personal, prophetic, and full of theology. And it's written during the dark days um, of Israel's judges. And I agree with that. I think it is a very sad time. But the thing that I want to point out to you today is the book of Ruth. It's talking about in Ruth 1, 1 through 4, um, during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and his two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. Now, here is some uh, facts about that. Number one, they were in this period of famine due to sin. And you have this promised land that God gave his uh, chosen people, the Israelites. And then you have Elimelech uh, and Naomi and their sons, Malon and Chilion. And they leave the promised land due to the sin and the rebellion that's in the land. And they go over to Moab. And Moab is a wicked place. And, of course, they just continue in that they they stay there they all of the men in the family end up dying but the point that I want to make is this land is important this land that God gave Israel is important and the nation there was in sin and so there was a famine sent and we can go back to Judges 21 25 in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes so this famine was there due to sin and instead of Elimelech praying and asking God what do I do where do I go? How do I repent? I'm sure he knew what sins were being committed, but instead of doing any of that, what does he do? 
He does what's right in his own eyes. And he takes his family not only out of the physical location that was the will of God, because this was the land that God had given those people. And they were in the famine due to sin. And so common sense would tell you that if you're in sin, you need to repent, not leave the will of God further. They're already outside of the will of God because of the sin and the famine is there is judgment for that. But instead of stopping there and repenting, he does what's right in his own eyes and he leaves the safety of the place that God has given to this nation. And he goes over to this wicked country and he cohabitates there within that place. And he actually, his children intermarry and then they all end up dying. I think that this shows us on a large scale that God puts us places. And when there's sin in our lives, we shouldn't try to get out. We shouldn't do what's right in our own eyes. We need to evaluate and make sure that we are seeking the Lord. And if there is sin, trying to get out of it is never the way to go. Repentance is always the way to go. When we repent, the Lord forgives, he redeems, and he restores. When we run, we're just rebelling. Sin is already rebellion, but it's an added rebellion to try to get out of a sin instead of repenting. And so this book takes kind of the national, like, Israel on a national level as a country was in judgment. But this takes it from a big group of people to a personal story of a family. And then from there to a woman named Naomi who is who is redeemed ultimately redeemed through the sin of intermarrying and brought back by Ruth to the promised land. So it's a very long journey, but it shows us on a very personal level that even when we sin, God isn't done with us. And even when we rebel, he doesn't leave us alone. He pursues. And him pursuing doesn't mean that we don't face the consequences of the sins we've committed. Because there's always that principle of sowing and reaping. But it does show us that sin, although it separates us from a right relationship with God, there's no place that a child of God can go to outrun God or to get away from God. And there's no time that God stops loving us. There's no time when he says, you've sinned too much. I don't have anything left to give you. Even in our sin, the Lord pursues on a national level and he pursues on a personal, intimate level. And so I want that to be an encouragement to you 
There is not a place that you can go and escape the hand of God and the heart of God if you are a believer. And that should give us comfort because that lets us know that even when we sin, we can still come boldly to the throne of grace. We can still repent and be forgiven, completely forgiven. And that when we repent, God will restore. And restoring is often a painful process. It's a rebuilding of sorts. And in order for something to be rebuilt, it has to be demolished. Now, the level of that demolishing can be minor, minor DIY to a whole household renovation. But that's what he does. And so what you need to know is that spending time with the Lord will change you. And you need to do it. There is not a better pursuit to have in this life. And when you follow him, he'll give you light. And that light, when you walk in it, will feed and fuel the hunger that you will have for a deeper relationship with Jesus. And then when you're in sin, don't run. Repent. Because in repentance, God will redeem and restore. Be sure to share this podcast with your family and friends and drop me a comment if you would. I really appreciate you guys and I look forward to seeing you again next Friday with the next Weed, Seeds, and Beautiful Things podcast. Just say-